GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. I hope you're well and that you haven't been blown around too much on this very windy Friday. On the way in today's podcast, after a very interesting viewpoint discussion on GBC television last night, we continue to discuss the Principal Auditor's Report with Viewpoint presenter Roz Astengo and former GBC News editor Stephen Nish. We'll also discuss Children's Mental Health Week with Childline Chief Executive Caroline Carter and Community Facilitator Alan Jones. Among other things, we'll ask the question, what should a child do when they're being bullied? But first... A weather warning remains in effect for most of the day. We could see gale force winds. Travel conditions could be hazardous, so do be careful out there. We're joined now by the producer of Gibraltar today, Kellyanne Borge, who has the latest. Kelly. Yeah, well, it wasn't too long ago we were joined by the Met Office in the studio because we've had a very mild year so far. It was the warmest January on record. And while it's still not too cold, the weather has certainly taken a nasty turn today. So a stormy day, gale force winds, even reaching severe gale force in exposed locations. We've just uh, moments ago received a rather dramatic video via WhatsApp. What seems to be the new Sepsa petrol station by the frontier Mm. with sheets uh, of material. Kingsway by the airport. Yeah, uh, which is still under construction, hasn't opened yet, but it seems like uh, sheets of material are being blown away, which looks quite, quite dramatic, quite dangerous. Mm. Uh, But as we've just received it, it's still, um, you know, it's still verifying. Double checking that that's what's happened. Exactly. But that's what it seems to to be in the video. Uh, But yes, persistent rain. And while we can expect some brighter spells, uh, we'll still be blustery and then thunder showers as well this evening to follow. Um, Our guests from Childline, who will be joining you in the studio shortly, they've just arrived and they've described it as horrendous. That was their way. Yeah, they've just so thank thank you very much to anyone Mm coming into the studio today and this is a a forecast from Isaac Harding from the Met Office. We're seeing Storm Carlotta pass through Gibraltar today, which has brought strong winds and some heavy rain as well. As we head into this evening, we're seeing uh, this rain turn a little bit more showery and more towards thunderstorms, with a risk of seeing some hail as well. Uh, strong winds are expected to remain into the evening and overnight, ever so slightly dying down to a strong to near gale strength, um, but still remaining breezy. So yes, if you are out and about today, hopefully you're not, but unfortunately uh, work and school runs uh, continue to be a reality for most of us. So we still need to take care in terms of flying debris, also potential rockfalls in prone locations, travel conditions will be difficult. Uh, This is Isaac's advice from the Met Office on that. So with the weather out there today, um, I would be remaining careful as we're seeing some flooding on roads. um, So careful whilst driving or cycling this afternoon and this evening. Um, Also watch out whilst walking for brollies as well as they likely will, with those strong winds, will be popping open. And as well, watch out near coasts as you'll see some um, strong winds uh, whip up some high waves as well. So just uh, be careful out there tonight. Yeah, so we've just actually received um, information that perhaps that petrol station is one located in Algeciras and not in Gibraltar. You, you mentioned that uh, some sheets of material have flown yes. off a SEPSA petrol station. Yes, what uh, seems like the, the roof of the, the station, which I mean, if anyone was around, that would have been uh, potentially life-threatening. So uh, 
notwithstanding, even though that's in Algeciras, uh, still very strong gale force winds here in Gibraltar. And as we heard from Isaac, we need to take care, especially in coastal areas. We had our cameraman Darren Durante out this morning. He was braving the storm for the newsroom to get some footage. And yeah, he came back rather, um, I was going to say windswept, but you couldn't quite tell because Darren doesn't have the hair to be windswept. But it's certainly Ouch. a little bit soggy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just had a look at some of his filming from this morning and and Camp Bay in particular looks really quite dramatic. High swell, waves crashing over the wall. So that footage will be used on GBC News this evening. Now, according to the Fire and Rescue Service, they've received only one minor call out today. Uh, but the warning is in place until this evening. So hopefully that's the extent of incidents that we hear, hear about. So stay alert. Avoid unnecessary travel. Be safe. In terms of flights, they're operating in and out of Malaga today. Pilots won't be attempting to land in Gibraltar, which is hardly surprising. And yeah, obviously, when, whenever you know we have weather stories in the news, it always generates a lot of interest because, of course, it's something that affects us all. So we've had quite a few comments on our social media pages. Jeffrey points out that every year it's raining less and less. And so fingers crossed we get some good rain. It's much needed. Adam agreeing we need rain. Joan says same as we've got here in the far southwest of the UK. But whereas we're experiencing wind and rain, it is still mild. Uh, We'll have highs of 18 today. Whereas in the UK, snow is falling. They have a weather warning um, handed down by the Met Office across the whole nation for four days with as much as 10 inches of snow forecast in some areas. So that kind of puts it in slightly into perspective yeah, for it's, us. It's, it's all relative, I guess. Yeah. But um, I think the wind is is the main mm-hmm. um, thing that's concerning today. Uh, and, and we're talking about the petrol station in Algeciras. Uh, thankfully, there have been, uh, the Spanish press reports suggest there have been no injuries mm-hmm. as a result of, of those materials falling from the petrol station in Sepsa. Uh, that um, roofing, it, it appears that it was the interior part of the roof that's fallen off. But that's always the danger uh, whether we can see maybe some debris mm-hmm. uh, from a construction site or maybe from a, a building that's in a poor state of repair. Um, high winds can, can, can do that. And, and obviously, if there's somebody passing by underneath, then, yeah. you know... I think the advice is if you can stay home, do. Good. Don't risk it. All right. Uh, Kellyanne Borge, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. Childline has given a platform to youngsters this week to voice their feelings and experiences. It's Children's Mental Health Week, and the charity launched the My Voices Matter, uh, My Voice Matters campaign to empower Gibraltar's young people. It's an initiative that has seen school assemblies, songs and poetry competition, uh, and also an exhibition at the Gemma gallery which we reported on on GBC television you might have seen that uh, Childline Chief Executive Caroline Carter and Community Facilitator Alan Jones are here now uh, good afternoon to you both uh, let me just get Alan's microphone up because this is live broadcasting and there's always something one thing that one forgets but uh, there you go uh, hello Alan hey Jonathan and good afternoon uh, Caroline thank you for joining us thank you for having us it's a pleasure uh, so um, let's start at the top um, uh, children's mental health what what are the important things that we need to keep in mind when we think of the mental health of young people that's a really interesting point because this week is really important to Childline in Gibraltar because we have seen a significant shift in the reasons why children call our helpline 
When we first started 17 years ago, there was a lot more about children talking to us about when they were in harm's way, and we had a lot of focus on safeguarding. But we found in the last year, our statistics have demonstrated that children call us about their mental health and well-being. That is now the top reason why children call Childline's helpline, and we've seen that consistently for three years in a row. And for that reason, this week, Children's Mental Health Week, is really important to us as a charity. Sorry, I was asking <laughs> Alan to lift his microphone. I was trying to be discreet, but I distracted you. Sorry, Caroline. Uh, so so you, you've, been, you, you've been speaking to young people and, and sharing that message with them. Absolutely. The theme this year is Your Voice Matters. And for that reason, we wanted to have a bit of fun this year with our competition. Yeah, so we, we were leading with this competition. Your Voice Matters gave us, gave us that opportunity to think, actually, how can we get the voices of the children heard? Um, so however they want to, to get their voices heard about what is mental health to them, how it affects them, how they, how they manage their mental health. So we launched the competition, um, My Voice Matters, and we've enabled, enabled them to put in poems, songs. Um, we've had quite a few entries um, from, the, from the secondary schools and the primary schools, so we're going to be looking at those over the next week um, to find a, a good winner, a worthy winner, for our competition um, but there's some great uh, some great stories being told in the stories and the um, songs that have been submitted to us so far and I suppose I mean uh, you call it a competition because it gives people an incentive and, and it motivates young people to get involved but really it's joining a conversation isn't it and everybody who's contributed I'm sure uh, has done their part in that respect yeah, and it's about sharing all those voices, and hopefully over the next next few weeks, obviously we will we will publish who the winner is and, and their poem or their song. But hopefully we can get the rest of them out there as well, because I think it tells that story about what the children are thinking about mental health um, and how they're coping with it. And and obviously that links quite closely with um, the Resilient Minds program that we're launching. Um, and we've got that running in the schools already, but actually it's about empowering them to build their own resilience so we're all going to face a crisis we're all going to face a challenge in our lives um and we've got to build the skills of, of the children early so they're empowered to be able to deal with that those in the future so um give us a few tips uh, for maybe parents who are listening who could try and reinforce something that you've been uh, sharing with young people this week so with Having a platform and a safe space for children to share their voices, to share their thoughts and opinions, whether it be at school, whether it be at this competition, whether it be with the family and friends, we know that it gives young people the chance to feel safe, to ensure that they are heard. And that will ensure that children and young people will have a more positive mental health, will have a better well-being, having that safe space to share their voices when things get tough and when things get well. And we know that by giving that space, children will be more resilient to deal with life's challenges. And that's all that this is. This is just one strand to give children different tools to be resilient. It takes a village to raise a child and Childline is just one of those parts that we can help children. But we know that we need the wider community and wider professionals and that's why we're very keen on collaborating with different departments like the schools, the GHA, just to ensure that children find Gibraltar a safe space to grow up and live in. Right, let's hear some of their voices. This was recorded at the Gemma Gallery earlier this week. Considering we are the next generation of people who are going to be living and influencing how society is in Gibraltar, I think that our voices matter, they matter, if not matters most, you know? It's important that you have, like, you have a voice like everyone else. And some people are shy, 
but you have to be confident to like a big group here and you have to let your voice out and express what you want to like what you feel inside it's important because to be um, to have confidence and to be brave and to respect other people I think that often my voice is overlooked or just flat out ignored and if not then I'm afraid to use it because lots of people don't agree with my identity or me existing at all. When I walk to school sometimes there'll just be like some people that just like yell names at me or bark at me which is a bit weird or just call me slurs and well usually it's when I walk home I'll just have like a group of people, lots of them that actually used to identify as queer, just calling me slurs and like being awful to me and it honestly makes me take twice the amount of time to walk home because I have to go around the long way. So those are voices recorded by GBC earlier this week uh, at the Gemma Gallery um, and we were talking about um, Childline collaborating with a number of other organisations in sort of helping to build up the resilience of young people and that was evident there no, with a number of different um, you know, entities represented but, but we, if we can sort of continue what the, the young person was saying there about um, bullying, uh, their experience of bullying and, and mean things, slurs being shared with them. Uh, it's something that unfortunately a lot of young children will come across at one point or another. Um, we've all been young, we, we know how, how these things can happen. Um, how, do you, how do you build up that resilience in, in a young person to be able to deal with a situation where mean things are being said to them? What's the right approach for that young person? That's a very good question and there isn't one size fits all. Different children will deal with different problems in different ways and need different skills. Um, one of the areas which we offer on our helpline is the safe space to talk and we empower children to find those solutions themselves, what works for them. And we're drawing on different tools which Alan can talk a little bit more about. But we have noticed in just last month our helpline statistics, bullying was the third reason that children spoke to us about on the helpline, mental health being the first one. And for that reason, we need to look at this concept in the bigger picture. As children are becoming so brave to talk about their mental health and their challenges, as we've seen from that clip that you've shown. In some ways, they're getting more confident, aren't they? I mean, I compare young people's voices to what I think my voice would have sounded like when I was their age and, and, and my peers. And I think that young people are, are getting, uh, that their voices are, are, are increasing in, in sort of importance and, and, and you know, they, they speak clearly and, and they speak their minds. And I, th I think those voices are recognised, and it's, uh, I think the clips demonstrated it as well. It's about making sure they recognise the power of their own voices as well and use it for good. Um, it's, you could use it either way, um, but we've got to make sure that children recognise to use their voice for good, to help other children out who are being bullied, um, to call that out if they see it and say it's wrong, um, not just stand by and allow it to happen. Call it out to the person, who, the perpetrator, as it were? Um, well, however they can help, whether that's calling out to the perpetrator if that's the right thing to do at the right time. Again, there's no one-size-fits-all to any bullying situation. Um, but it's about assisting that person, calling it out if it's if it's being said online to say, actually, no, that's not right to say that about somebody. Um, calling it out, going to a teacher or going to somebody else who's going to support the situation. Um, just making sure that that person doesn't feel like they're alone because again that's one of the fundamentals to resilience is you've got that network of people around you that can help you you can you can call on you can go to when you've got a problem um being able to 
although bullying is always going to be a really emotional thing, being able to regulate that emotion and, and reason with it and say, actually, it might just be one person that's doing this to me. There's a whole world of other people who are really nice, really respect me, um, but that one person is there. And so once you put it in that context, maybe it's different. You're able to manage your emotions. Deal with it better. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Um, OK, um, before we let you go then, the exhibition at the Gemma Gallery is still open? It's still open. It's been led by the youth service and they've done a great job with working with all the children to produce those really inspiring works of art. And we just wanted to remind children and families that even though it's Children's Mental Health Week this week, Childline is here to support children every day of the year on a helpline. Brilliant. And it is on telephone number? 08008. And uh, and if... Uh, maybe a parent or a grandparent is listening and thinking, oh, my child or grandchild uh, could have entered that song and poetry competition. It's, a- it's actually still open until 6pm, isn't it? Open until 6pm this evening, so yeah, get those entries in. There's information on our Facebook pages. Um, posters are, are out in the school, so hopefully those things have gone out there. And, and yeah, it's a great opportunity. We've already had some entries. Um, we encourage lots more. And yeah, we want to get out there and, and work with the community, so we're encouraging schools to get in touch with us as well and make sure that they've book their sessions in for us to come and, and work with the children and support them as well. All right. Well, thank you so much to Childline Chief Executive Caroline Carter and Community Facilitator Alan Jones for joining us. We understand that you braved the foul weather to be here. So very particularly grateful for that and hope that the wind goes easy on you on the way back. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> on Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. We're going to be continuing the discussion uh, that was started um, when the principal auditor published his report and maybe a day or two later when we started reading through it because it is a 900-page tome. Um, But it's certainly dominated headlines for some days now. And uh, Tony Sacramento has worked at the audit office for 30 years. Viewpoint reported last night that his role is crucial to Gibraltar's democracy, transparency and accountability. Ros Astengo interviewed the Chief Minister, Fabian Picardo, and the opposition leader, Keith Asopardi. And former GBC News editor Stephen Nish analysed the findings, having prepared a number of reports for the GBC Newsroom. And it's a privilege to be joined by both Ros and Stephen now. Good afternoon, guys, and um, uh, firstly, thank you for from a, from a viewer's perspective, very interesting watching last night. I really enjoyed Viewpoint. Uh, and uh, I suppose we're here to sort of continue the conversation. So if somebody's coming to this uh, a little bit late, what is the Principal Auditor's Report? I'll let Stephen take that one. <laughs> well, basically, it's an audit that the Principal Auditor does of all government departments to analyse their expenditure in, in, in the financial year and to see whether they provided value for money essentially to the government and he also points out if there's any if there's been any abuses as uh, he might see it or if there have been any shortcomings in 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 systems and procedures in government departments and that in a nutshell is is what it is uh, and it's ended up in a as jonathan says a 1000 page report and spoiler alert, he did find some issues, as you would expect. I mean, I think the chief minister made the point, you don't handle uh, uh, £1.5 billion of money coming in and going out of the Gibraltar government of um, w- without or the public service without there being some issues that need improvement. No? Yeah, look... Um 
he he didn't shirk any of the answers he gave a viewpoint yesterday and i think that um essentially it is true whenever you have an audit there are going to be a lot of issues that come up and he embraced them he said yeah we made mistakes yes there were invoices that were duplicate duplicated but that's what the audit office is there the audit office is to pick out these mistakes now this has been the talk of the town for the last two weeks uh, everyone is talking about it and people have their own views as to uh, you know what what some of these uh, issues are are that we've highlighted motivation behind them, the story behind them, questioning, uh, you know, the chief minister's replies. We've done several interviews with him now and we've already broadcast those. Um, But what I wanted to do with Viewpoint yesterday with Stephen essentially is to get his views, to get the leader of the opposition's views, put them there together and for people to make up their own mind. That's essentially what we're there for. We're, we're completely neutral. And, you know, I asked him questions. We are restricted with time. We can't go into too much detail on any one topic. But, um, you know, and, and it's up to the public to make up their mind. So, so I mean, you, you did spend a whole hour on the principal auditor's report generally, but what you mean is that um, you, you, maybe we could talk about one of the aspects exactly. that has been reported on. Yeah you know, for, for, for even more time because yeah, there's, there's a lot of detail there. there. Yeah, for example, one of the topics that we, we brought up was um, the autonomy of the office, let's say, that, that one issue. Uh, there are a lot of uh, issues there that I could have de- deep-dived further into, but you're very restricted. I mean, I went in to do a 15-minute interview with the Chief Minister. I came out with a 35-minute interview because I questioned him on several topics. But, you know, as you know, Jonathan, that when you're doing these interviews, you could sit there and ask another 10 questions on a topic, but you need to move on because you do want to sort of put other questions to them as well. So we did overrun by 15 minutes on the programme last night, uh, which is not something that we usually do, but it was a very important topic. And And as I said, you know, um, I asked some questions. He gave the answers. Uh, Keith Azapardi gave his responses as well. We put them together. That's how we packaged it. And people uh, are free to make up their own mind about what they think about it. And obviously, Stephen provided some excellent analysis and and background, which has been fantastic. I I liked the format, you know, uh, and and there is part part of this is to sort of uh, help to share the information that's contained in the principal auditor's report. I mean, that's that's the crux of it, really. No, and then uh, uh, you guys made the point that it's up to individuals watching and listening at home to make up their minds as to you know what make a, a value judgment, if you like, about whether you think that's um, you know a good way of doing um, uh, administering public finances, where you think that there is room for improvement, whether you think that somebody's political argument is more persuasive or less persuasive, that's not for us, for GBC to do. No? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, w- one point also that I could add to this is, is that um, the principal auditor himself points out that he has a shortfall of three staff members. He's short by three. Possibly if he'd had a full complement, he could have delved even deeper into the report or covered more areas. And if I can draw an, an analogy with GBC, GBC also has constraints in terms of of, of staffing and of employees and of being able to cover something like this in depth. Fortunately, I was able to do this for them. But in previous years, when I was in the newsroom, we never managed to dive deeply into the principal auditor's report. I think it's the first time that it's been done on this scale. And I don't think from, from what I've managed to see in the local media, I don't think it's been picked up in any great depth either by the newspapers.
So it, it 900 pages uh, prepared by a team of some 20 individuals. It's about 18. They're a bit short staffed. They're 18. It should be 21, I think. And, uh, and, and they've spent a number of years preparing it. So it's going to take a while to unpack um, and it is uh, it, it does reflect mostly the state of affairs between 2016 and 2018, although on occasion the principal auditor um, sort of looks at, at things more recently as well. No, the report actually it was presented in December last year, just a couple of months ago. And if you read the text that accompanies the statistics, in many of the cases he was actually still receiving answers right up until November, December last year. So, in fact, I think in terms of the allowances and the early exit packages that were two of the issues that we've highlighted, I think that it was up until December. Uh, we've talked a little bit there uh, about the independence of, of his office and, and the funding, and uh, he has expressed deep concern, the principal auditor, Tony Sacramento, uh, that uh, the independence of his office has been disregarded and compromised by the executive government uh, by taking unilateral decisions about his financial and human resources. Uh, Tony Sacramento said... As in fact, that he thinks it's unconstitutional for someone outside the audit ambit to effectively have a say in the external public audit function. Um, so, so I mean, he he's it, it, on on at times he's been very very strong in his wording. He has, he has been. I mean, that's his role and it's his independence that allows him to, to speak in that way. And, um, you know, I, I spoke to Tony Sacramento there. He, it's, it's really strange because I'd never heard of him before. I never knew where the audit office was. And uh, I went along to meet him and the staff and they were all very welcoming. They were really pleased that GBC was covering what's been extremely hard work for them over these past few years. Um, but yes, it is a concern. And, and it's something that I did raise with the chief minister. And there are two very distinct views there. Now, the chief minister, as you heard in the interview last night, took the view that it was wrong to uh, ring fence staff. They should be permitted to move around other departments and gain those skills and those experiences. And that was his um, that was his motivation for removing the 12% lead pay. But Tony Sacramento, the principal auditor, feels very, very strongly about it. He doesn't want any interference in, in staffing from the government because he feels it can impact uh, the autonomy of his office. So, you know, you've got two very strong views there. I put it to the leader of the opposition. He was very much of the view that we should go with um, Tony Sacramento's view on that uh, and take his lead on it. Um, the chief minister was very strong in his response. He felt it was very unfair towards staff and that was his motivation. So, you know, all we can do is put those views out there and the public must decide for themselves. But I'm not quite sure how that one is going to be resolved, Stephen. I think it's probably will be down to the government what they decide to do. Uh, and I'm not sure what the audit office well, uh, can I, do I think about from, it. From, from what I've read in the relevant section, I get the impression that Mr Sacramento, the principal auditor, thinks that the government's mind is made up and the 12% pay lead that his department and two others, in fact, uh, gets is going to be done away with eventually. Um, his, his view, apart from what you've said, obviously, Ros, is also that um, the staff in his department and the other two are, uh, that could be affected are very specialised staff. It's not like having a, a normal clerical grade who might be able to be moved from one 
department to another and the nature of the work would be similar. These are accountants and uh, statisticians and, and if you move them, for a start, you may be moving them to a department where they're overqualified in what they're going to be doing and you're also leaving a gap in their department. Also, he, he, Mr. Sacramento says that what's, what the net effect of that would be that he won't be able or they won't be able to because, you see, he won't be there any longer. They won't be able to attract the right uh, type of, of person, the right uh, caliber of person because the salary has been reduced by 12% effectively. And also, I think it's really important to point out that you, you could have a member of staff who choose, let's say they remove the pay lead and that allows for staff to be transferable. So you, you could say, well, you know, it's up to the member of staff if they want to move to another department. But maybe something, they are incentivized to move out of the department. And what the principal auditor is saying is he needs, his department needs to act with complete autonomy, without any kind of outside interference. He said this is the case with other audit offices in the UK and other places, and he feels very strongly it should be the case here. As I say, the Chief Minister has put a different case forward. Uh, his concern is more for the staff and that they have that freedom to move around. So... Um, yeah, there are competing uh, competing things there, aren't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. But, but as you say, uh, the principal order, his position is very much based on the principle of having an independent office that doesn't require him to negotiate his government, his um, human or financial resources with government officers who at the end of the day he is auditing, and, and, and I suppose that argument is understandable um, when he makes it in that way. And given the content of the audit report as well, I mean, a lot of it is, is, is quite uncomfortable to read um, as well. Yeah. So they need to feel that they can, uh, well, act in completely, completely independently. Completely independently. And, 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 and the other thing to say before we you know, move on from this point is that he thinks that the new public audit law should secure a modern and efficient public audit service and perhaps um, deal with some of these issues. Uh, and, and that's a, a law that um, isn't in effect yet, but uh, but he hopes will be Yes, it, soon. it apparently has been in... Um, I haven't checked it. This is what um, I've learnt from the audit office. It has been in various manifestos and um, it has yet to be passed, but uh, I put that to the Chief Minister and he said that they still need to negotiate aspects of that, so it's not finalised. I don't know whether we can read anything into the fact that Mr Sacramento is due to retire. He's imminently retiring in, in April. I've been told by some of my sources that he's been meaning to retire for some time but maybe he's disaffected with how he feels that his department has been dealt with and that may have, if you like, accelerated his decision to leave. Um, well, I, we I don't know. I, I, I did actually speak to him about that, so I just want to clarify a couple of points there. I mean, the retirement was always on the card, so I don't think it has uh, had any, any effect. And although he did talk about it, he has mentioned it in the report, he didn't really want to have too much focus on that because he... he you know, is perhaps wrong. I don't want to repeat a conversation, but essentially, the report is the report, regardless it, it whether he was going. It speaks for itself. To, no? Yeah, whether he was going to retire or not, that was their finding, and that is the report, uh, yeah. regardless of whether he was retiring. Okay, or not. if um, if I may, Stephen, today, well, in, in the program last night, you you teased um, today's reporting on allowances, um, and and you sort of invited us to have a think about uh, a particular individual who. Uh, in uh, the year audited, trebled his income uh, by way of allowances. So um, 
could you tell us a little bit more about what today's report focuses on? Well, basically the, the the cost of the allowances across the public service, it comes to something like £21 million, I think, overall. And um, obviously what I've done is, is highlight the ones that I think are most significant and that people are going to uh, notice and remark upon. Maybe it's a little bit unfair of me. Maybe I, you, you could take the view that I, I should have been more general. And in fact, I have been because I've also mentioned um, some grades that overall have received a, a fair amount in terms of allowances. But the one significant one that caught my attention straight away was the Attorney General. I mean, he has a, a pretty good salary already. I can just look at it here. It was £135,000 in the year in review, 2018-2019. <laughs> and his allowance was for that year was £288,000, which meant that he more than uh, trebled his income for that year. It may well be that is perfectly justified, but I think that for many people, especially people who perhaps haven't had a cost of living increase in the, uh, in a few years, it, it's quite significant to notice that. My understanding is that that is, that is his pay and has been his pay uh, since he became Attorney General. Uh, loosely speaking, um, but uh, but you know I'm sure that if if um, Mr. Jamas wants to clarify anything that uh, that he can do so or the government can on his behalf, he is you know to state the obvious uh, the lead person for Gibraltar in the Brexit negotiations as carried out by officials, not the politicians. Uh, so it's not to underestimate the work that that he does. It's merely to report the facts that the principal auditor lays bare in in his report. Um, and uh, when we talk about allowances, Stephen, we're talking about monies which are basically paid regularly to people. Um, it's it, it sort of like sits alongside a salary, basically. That's correct. Yes, and uh, some of them, some of those allowances are not taken to ac- into account when the when the officer retires, but some are. I think uh, a third of them are actual actually pensionable, which means that when the the officer retires, they they calculate the pension on his or her final salary and also, in some cases, their allowance. Okay, well, um, there's so much in there that we could talk about it all day, but uh, I think that's where we're going to wrap up for now. Uh, But um, in a word or two, do we expect there to be much more that we uh, report on from the... I don't know how much more. There's certainly a couple of stories that have uh, come to our attention and we will continue reporting on on it next week. I'm not sure how much there more, more, more there is in there, but there's still a, a few more stories in there, there to come. There may be a lot, but we don't really know until we've read it. And also, uh, I'm a little bit concerned that maybe it's like when you go to too many museums and you, you, you don't appreciate what you're looking at anymore. <laughs> maybe there's too much of this. Eventually, the the public will switch off. I don't know. Yeah, okay, well, a a judgment call, a discussion to be had uh, in the GBC newsroom. But uh, for now, thank you, Rosa Stengo and Stephen Nish, for joining us in the Radio Gibraltar studio. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar Today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.